calling all women who are curious and called to be women warriors arising in this day and age to heal and grow together. I'm your host, Jennifer Malcolm, self-made entrepreneur, women advocate, and life balance expert. Welcome to the next episode of the Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. And with me today is my friend, Vicki Hogan. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. And I know Vicki and I have crossed paths on and off through our mutual friend, Dolores Presley, probably the last five or six years. And yeah. she and I happened to reconnect this past spring at our fundraiser fundraiser for Genesis Speaks. And she raised both hands saying, I'd love to be on your podcast and share part of the story. So thank you for your willingness to be here today. Thank you so much. And help anybody. That's, that's what this is about. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So it was a little bit of a bio about you to just give the audience context of who you are, and then we'll just jump right into your story. Okay. All right. Vicki Hogan is originally from Smithfield, Ohio, and currently is living in Canton. She is retired from the Health Plan Upper Ohio Valley in Massillon. She wears many hats. She is a graduate of the Barbizon School of Modeling in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Vicki was the fashion coordinator for the Ohio Valley Mall in St. Clairsville for five years. She's currently the personal assistant to the international speaker and our friend Dolores Presley. She loves to decorate in her spare time. She raised and is enjoying life with her one son, Alec. And I did watch some of his drumming that you shared. And I saw some of his work since you and I talked this past spring and it was powerful. So, so excited about that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, my friend, and love to just jump right in. I know that you are a multi-breast cancer survivor. You have a powerful testimony and a powerful story of just this journey of how you walk through it each and every time. So why don't we just start from what your life looked like before your first diagnosis and then how that really impacted you and at what age and how old were you when you first got your breast cancer diagnosis? I was a single parent. I was divorced and living in Smithfield and worked at Blue Cross and Blue Shield at the time in Wheeling, West Virginia, because where I lived is like Pennsylvania, Wheeling, everything's right there together. So I worked in, in Wheeling, West Virginia and raising my son. I mean, he was like nine years old at the time. And I was a person who got my mammograms every year faithfully. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, and I had dense breasts and a lot of women have that problem. And then you can have lumps, but there's nothing to really worry about. Right. But the one time that I did go, the doctor said, oh, this one don't feel just right. Let me go ahead and do a biopsy. So I'm just a single parent going to work every day, going to church every day, just living life and loving. After I had the biopsy, he called me back in for a follow-up. And then he told me that lump was benign. Well, the only thing I saw was funeral home and get your stuff in order. I put my clothes on backwards. I was by myself. I didn't have anybody there with me. I have sisters, but they, I never thought I was going to hear that. So I, I put my shirt on backwards and, and it was just really bizarre. I was just all out of sorts. So that was quite traumatic right there. But then after that, I, I said, okay, we can just go on to the funeral home and get your house in order. Wow. It's a big C word and you can't get around it. All I saw was cancer and death. That, that's what I saw. And it's amazing because I know there's a lot of women and I'm one of those that get my annual mammogram as well. And the same thing with dense breast tissue. And they always say, here's the next layer of 
testing or different MRI, and there's new technology even that's developed over the last several years. And that balance between being proactive and doing what we're supposed to do as women and exams, self-exams and all of that, and then doing the right things and then still getting this diagnosis and then really feeling what it sounds like is that it's a death sentence and it's really, all right, life is over and I'm young and I'm single and I'm alone. And really just that fear, it sounds like that really hit your heart. Yes. Yeah. I was 47 at the time and I was just mainly worried about my son. I was so worried. I said, oh God, please, I cannot leave my son. I just cannot. That's the main, that was my biggest worry. So what type of treatment did they do? Because obviously you're here and you survived and you overcame that first round. So what did they do for that first diagnosis of cancer? They said the best thing to do is radiation therapy. Every day for six weeks, I had to have radiation as a precaution because they said one little molecule can get loose and go somewhere else. So let's do that. So, and the hardest part to me with radiation is the markings because you have to go and you have to lay there on the table and you get these permanent tattoos. I was getting tattoos and didn't want one, you know? So, <laughs> so I got a tattoo here and tattoo, you know, they want to know where it's going to go in and where it's going to come right. out. Right. So, and they set up all those numbers. So when you go in after that point, when you go in for your treatment, it takes probably five minutes after you get your clothes off and everything. But the lengthy part was the markings. Make sure they had everything right as to where it was going to go in and where it was going to go out. And I've heard through other stories and family that have gone through this, that yes, you get tattooed in a way that you never wanted to, or if you don't want to get tattooed, you have your first tattoo in your life, but also that, so they're hitting the same spot over and over again and, and really centralizing into that cancer. But I've also heard where they've done molds of your body. So your body's actually laying in the same position too. And I don't know if you experienced that or not, but that literally your hands and your arms and your shoulders are in the exact same position. It's almost like a big body pillow that they mold your body so that they are so laser focused to hit the cancer right where it is. I don't know if you experienced that or not, but I know the tattoo markings is pretty common as well. Yeah. I didn't have to do the the molding like you're saying, but every time I would go in before work, I'd go in and I knew how I had to lay and they made sure they had the numbers right on that little machine. And it, And I'm sure everybody sees that machine that goes over you and back and forth and that type of thing. And that's a scary thing. So obviously six weeks, they're giving you, I would say, a little bit of hope to work against this cancer. But how are you doing emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, mentally? How are you doing during that time as well? Well, that same day that I was diagnosed, I had to go to church that evening and emcee a program. I do a lot of emceeing. So here I am standing before these people. And I was just told I have cancer. And I was like, and I couldn't even say the word cancer. I couldn't even say it. And my friends were there. And I said to them, I said, I was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And they're like, what? And then they're calling me up on the stage to the church to start getting this program going. So I had to put all that aside. I had to put that in the back burner and go ahead and go forth with what I had to do. My friends were a support that I had told. And and my church family, and my own family. And that was a big help too. But I still had that in the back of my head. You're going to die. You're on your way out. And my doctor said, Vicki, I said, how do I tell my son? That was hard. I said, God, how do I do this? And the doctor said, well, I'll call and I need to talk to your son. I said, great. So the oncologist in Wheeling called my son, talked to him. He said, your mom's going to be fine. 
He said, she may get hit by a truck, but she's not going to die of cancer. And I just laughed and he laughed. And that made, that made me feel so much better. Yeah. And you said your son was nine at this time. I think he was nine at the time. Yeah. So even that, like I, I'm looking at my kids who are now 21, almost 20, almost 18. And looking back, I was a single mom for about a decade as well. And having that layer of being a single mom, having that sole responsibility, caretaking, loving on those babies so much, and then having to share (laughs) such intense conversation, but it sounds like your doctor handled it so well. He did. He was marvelous. Ease and peace and even joy and laughter into your mom is not going to die from this. She might, she might die from something else, but I'm sure that helped a little bit, give a little bit of hope and peace to both your heart and your sons. Yes. Yes, it did. There's no doubt. And my sisters, I told them, and of course they, they were worried, but they didn't tell me. And they're like, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it through this and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. But my church family was very helpful. And, and my husband uh, at the time, well, he wasn't my husband at the time. He's my, my boyfriend at the time who I, we later got married and he was a big help. And I told him, I said, look, you need to go find you another woman that ain't going to have no breast cancer or something. I said, I'm not the one. He said, you're crazy. He said, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, I said, okay, you know, cool. So that was a help as well. I'm sure that type of unconditional love and support when life hits you so hard and you're paralyzed with fear. I know I've been in situations where you do have to put your face on, you still have to put your lipstick on, you still have to go to the front of the church, or you still have to do your program, or you have to get up and do work, or you have to get up and do a podcast and your emotions and your heart that may not align. And it's that will to continue to move forward. But realizing that as soon as the camera goes off or as soon as you come off that stage or whatever that happens, that fear can percolate back up and to have that resources and support and community around you from family, your future husband, your church, Mm -hmm. God, all of those had to have been a huge breath of fresh air to you in some manner. Yes. Yes. And not only that, when I started getting in the regiment of going every morning. I would go before work. I didn't miss any work during the whole radiation time. I refused. I refused. I said, I will not miss work. I will not. And also I was coordinating a festival with a friend of mine in Wheeling, West Virginia at the time. I just, I just kept going, going. I just had to push, push, push. But that's what I had to do in order to keep my mind busy and not dwell on what was going on. It's amazing how our minds and our hearts can either compartmentalize or help cope with situations when we do focus in on things that we're responsible for, our family, I'm sure your son, your church community, your festival, that it gives us that little bit of barrier where we can unplug and still live from a fruitful and purposeful life in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a war, in the midst of devastation or brokenness or hurt that our bodies and minds are created in such a unique way to continue to push through or help us get through it as well. That is correct. Yep. I assume that after six weeks that you came back and got a clean bill of health or how did that look like? Well, you don't get a clean bill of health. You get, you have to wait. And when you're five years out, that's when you get the clean bill of health. I had medicine I had to to stay on like an anti-cancer. Sure. And I went always, I still went for my checkups and did everything like I was supposed to when you have radiation, your your skin will get burnt towards the end of the six weeks. I got burnt. I dealt with that. I said, hey, I can live with that. 
Yeah. I'm still here. I can handle that. So you, you put the aloe on there and keep it moving, you yeah. know. And it's a matter of perspective. I remember someone that I heard recently speak and share about her stint with cancer. And it was at that time of cancer, you're not bargaining with God to give you a better business deal. You're not bargaining with God to maybe to make that burn go away on your breasts that, that leave that, but you are bargaining with God to be a mom and to be there for your son and to live another day and to live another year and to have those moments. And it really puts into perspective what is important, what's not. And I can't wait to get to this part of the interview because there was a phrase that that's on my production notes that I thought was just such a powerful statement. And I can't wait to get there. So we'll continue with your story. So you went through your five years and I, that's your remission. And then what happened after that? Because you had to go round two. Let me see. I was living in Smithville in Ohio at the time, working in Wheeling, five years out. And then it's like, it's a, it's kind of hazy as far as the age I was. But I was 47 when I, the first time I had gotten married and I was 60 the second time around. But I, I was still going for the mammograms. I moved to Canton, Ohio. Okay. And I was still going, getting checked out. And if I can be candid, when I gained weight, the right side where I had the radiation didn't gain weight. So I was kind of lopsided. Sure. So I was like, oh my God, I can't buy a bra. Can't do nothing. What am I going to do? I'm just, I felt like I was lopsided. Sure. So I went that way for years, just dealing with it. So I said, look, I'm going to see about getting a breast reduction. Went to the plastic surgeon. He checked me out. I had a mammogram now six months prior to that. Anyway, everything was good. And then I went and got cleared to have the plastic surgery to make these both one way. Sure. (laughs) So- I went there and after the surgery and went back for my checkup after the surgery and the doctor kept asking me a lot of questions. I said, you know what? You're asking a little bit too many questions here. And I need to know what you're, you need to tell me what you're trying to say. He said, well, it was back in that right breast. It was there. Wow. This was your plastic surgeon when he went in or? Yeah. Wow. Plastic surgeon. So whatever he took off, you know, they have to check everything they take off of you. They got to check. Right. So when they did that, he said, your cancer was back in that, in the right breast. So I'm sitting there, two breasts I thought was going to be the same. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I said, are you serious? I said, are you sure? He said, Vicki, I'm sure. He said, I just hated to tell you this. He said, but it's a good thing you had this surgery because it was there. And he said, but we cannot re-radiate the same area. Can't do it. It's going to have to come off. And I talked to a friend of mine at Mercy Medical, because I'm, I'm an advocate yeah. with Angel Network at Mercy Medical for women who get diagnosed with breast cancer. So I talked to the nurse coordinator there and she was just flabbergasted. She said, Vicki, I was so shocked when I saw your name come through. And, and I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to get both of them removed. I'm oh, not going to deal with this. Yeah. And they said, it could come back in the left breast five years from now. And I said, I'll oh. tell you what, I'm already 60. I'm not dealing with this. I'm not. Take both of them. I don't want them. Take them. That was my choice. I'm glad I did. And so I did not have to go through any kind of treatment at that time. And and I thought I was okay. So now I'm, let me see, I'm 70 years old now. I was like 62, 61 or so when I had to get all that done. 
right? Then this third time around, I just happened to be laying in the bed and just put my right arm back and just touched underneath my arm for some reason. Right. And I felt a knot there. And I said, oh boy. I said, what is it? I said, I don't recall this being here. It's like, oh, geez. And I called my doctor, my surgeon that did the yeah. actual mastectomy. Because I remember now I had a, a reduction. Right. And so many weeks later, I had to have the mastectomy. So they had to wait for this healed up a little bit to go right back into that same. So I'm really not cut in the manner of a regular mastectomy. Sure. See what I mean? So I'm kind of caved in on one side. So I went back to him and he said, well, we got to do an ultrasound there. So I went and had the ultrasound done. And they said, we're pretty sure it's, it's cancerous. And here I had six lymph nodes that were malignant. Wow. I was really outdone then. I was really yeah. outdone. I'm sure the emotion of just all of that, of advocating for yourself to get a breast reduction so that we're not back to when we're 10 or 11 or 12 stuffing our bra and trying to get, you know, trying right, to get our right. breasts aligned and our breasts, you know, bigger than they are or getting the lopsidedness off to then having to have that mastectomy. And the phrase that I, I wanted to share that we did here in pre-production was that you can go buy hair and you go buy yep. breasts, but you can't That's buy right. your, your life back. And just that perspective of you really went through hell and back and your body went through such trauma and you beam with light, you beam with joy, you beam with hope, you beam with purpose. And you could have let this define you as well as take out your voice or your, your legs, your heart, but you've really used it to heal others and to advocate for others. And that's powerful. Yes. And my husband said, I didn't marry you for your breast. I married you for your heart. It's beautiful. And I said, thank you, Lord. And he was the greatest support. I just lost him seven months ago. Wow. He was a great support, but that was just so. And then when they said I needed chemo, I was really done. I was really done because that's the one thing I did not want to, I did not want to hear that chemo because I've seen people, how they look after chemo and everything. And I have a sister right now that has been 10 years, stage four breast cancer, but she's fine. She works two days a week and doing great. And I said, oh, I don't want chemo. And I had to have 20 treatments of some hard chemo. And I went in there with the attitude. I told them all in the, in the room, you know, when you, Usually when you go have chemo, there's other people in the room having the same sure. thing done. And I told the nurse, I said, look, I'm not going to get sick. I refuse. They said, well, this there's one treatment they give you. So they call it Red Devil. It's in this big syringe about this big. And they have to sit there by you and put it in there. And I said, okay, so much for the Red Devil. But I'm not getting sick. I'm not. I refuse. Yeah. I was not sick not one day of That's my amazing. treatment. Not That's one. Amazing. Not one. I refused. And the doctor even said to me, I don't know how you are tolerating this. And so, yes, my fingernails turned black. Yes, that's true. I lost a couple of toenails and stuff like that. Lost my hair. Had my husband shave my head. I said, come on, you can do this, honey. He says, he, he ended up enjoying that. He said, oh, this is pretty good. He said, I did pretty good. Yeah, I said, yes, you did. I said, get that part over there. So I said, just shave it off. Don't wait for it to fall out. Just shave that mess off. So we shaved it off and when I want hair, I go buy hair. Yeah. If I want breasts, I can go buy them. And I'm sure he thought you looked sexy. Like as he's doing that, he was probably like, all right, my <laughs> wife looks sexy as hell going through this and doing this. And and what a support, because that's the type of life partner that everyone wants. 
yes. someone that loves you no matter what you're walking no through, what. emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, psychologically, health-wise, that is not there for your breasts or your smile or your your bum or whatever, your height, <laughs> your weight, whatever. Whatever right. that is, like when someone just loves you for your heart and really right. just loves you as a life partner and best friend and lover and companion, that is such a gift. And it sounds like he was an absolute gem. Oh, and was. I'm sorry that you lost him recently that I can't imagine my husband and I have been married. It'll be four years. And mm -hmm. we it's our second marriages, our second time around on this. And we found love again. We found life again. And we found laughter again. And that type of camaraderie and friendship oh, is irreplaceable. It's valuable, valuable. It I'm is. telling you, it's valuable. I never thought I could love someone so much more than the first day I met him, but it's possible. Now, did breast cancer run in your family prior to, I know you and your sister, you said, have it? No, I had the BRCA test and my sister did too. Neither one of us had the gene. There's no gene. So it's either where we lived <laughs> or our diet, or I think, I want to say it might be where we live. Smithfield is a rural farm country. I've heard stories about that with farming and everything. So yeah, my sister has bone cancer and she, she's fine. She works two days a week at Walmart. She's doing wow. fine. And wow. she's had it for 10 years, never in remission. She still yeah. gets chemo, you know, and doing fine. But wow. it's all, it is a mindset. I'm telling you, it's a mindset. Yeah. Your mind can really drive you or draw you or have you collapse you really got to talk to yourself to overcome anything actually anything and how do you do that like what practices do you do to help strengthen that mind and strengthen your soul and really it is mind over matter and, and we've seen that over the years of what are medical miracles or advocacy for self or healing that comes through just declaring health and healing and life and purpose and destiny over yourself. But what are some of the exercises or activities do you practice in order to help strengthen your soul? Well, I'm a Christian and my church family is like my family because my family is not here. I have some sisters in Alliance some stepsisters in Alliance, but my sisters are an hour and a half away. So when you move to a different place in your life, you have to really surround yourself with people in, in your circle that you want to be your family. I mean, that's how I feel. You don't want to know any negative people. You want to keep that positiveness. And I read my Bible. I talked to God on a daily basis. I said, Lord, I need you to heal me because I cannot leave my son. I cannot. I just can't do it. And he's 40 years old today, thank God. And I'm 70 years old. So thank you, Lord, for keeping me. <laughs> exactly. And it's beautiful because we all find those communities around us and through the last, I would say five, six, seven years, and especially as we've grown the Genesis Speaks movement, is you find people who align with heart and soul that when you're down, they can breathe life into you. And when they're mm -hmm. down, you're that reciprocal back and mirror back to them to breathe life in. And when you surround yourself in that tight niche, and it might be three of you, it might be 50 of you, it might be right. one of you, it doesn't matter. But when you're calling out that purpose and you have that support and prayer or blessings or whatever you practice, however you practice, whoever's listening to this, it is so important that it's not just positive mindset, but it is really just infusing your heart, your soul, your DNA with that blessings and life and speaking life over yourself. And I don't care what faith you come from or non-faith mm -hmm. you come from. It's almost becoming so scientific 
that it doesn't matter how you practice, who you believe, who you pray to, but it is that positivity and that mindset that can heal or breathes life into someone else or pulls out destiny in someone else in ways that are unexplainable, that are miraculous or mysterious. And it sounds like you just put your stake in the sand to declare yourself to A, not get sick during chemo, B, be there for your son and watching your son drum. For those of you ever want to Google Vicky's son, he's been in stomp and different drum circles and just a master drummer and so entertaining to watch. Yeah. But you you put your stake in the sand and said, not today, today's not my time. And with the heart and attitude of, I can buy hair and I can buy breasts, but I can't buy my life back. Like that's powerful. That's right. That's so powerful. As we close up, what would you give our audience as some words of advice, either from a physical, spiritual, mental space, because we're hitting on obviously your, your physical dealing with cancer, but there's that level of emotion and spirit that is also very relevant and very important to your story. What kind of advice or closing remarks would you like to share with the audience? Well, I would like to say that if you have a diagnosis like that for anything, my advice is never go to the doctor by yourself. Take someone with you because they'll hear something you didn't hear because you're already in a mindset of, oh my God, I'm sick. So take someone with you for a support and always remember there's a way to always heal. Healing is mental, physically, and God will do it for you. And if you don't, if you don't believe in God, just get that mind over matter. Mind over matter. Your mind is the is the central zone of everything. Surround yourself with family and friends that will love you unconditionally. Because you could not have told me when I couldn't even say the word cancer that I would even be talking about it now and become an advocate for cancer. You couldn't have told me that. You couldn't have told me that I just was going to fall apart. But here I am, and, and, that, and I'm just grateful that I have a loving family, loving friends that stick by you no matter what. You need those unconditional friends. That's very important. It's beautiful. And ladies, we are going to be advocates to do your self-examinations, to do yes. your annual mammograms. If anything's suspect, it never hurts to ask the doctor. Don't, don't take a chance because you never know what that time frame looks like as well. That, that is correct. Make sure you ask questions if you don't understand something. And I just want to say this, a lot of hospitals, if you don't have health insurance, a lot of hospitals have grants that will let you get mammograms and things. Please, 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 please go and have that done. Do the self-exams. And, and if you don't have the money, see if they have a grant to get a mammogram, please. Great advice. That's great advice. And I didn't know that. So I just learned something new in that regard as well. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Again, we'll share pictures on our social media, but Vicki is beaming light. She's got her sassy red lipstick. So first thing I complimented her on when she got on camera today. And it's such an honor to be a part of your circle and, and to be in and out of your life for the last six, seven years, just in and around Dolores. And yes. again, it's like-minded people and kindred spirits that come together to advocate and to share stories. And if you're listening, ladies, just continue to find that grain of healing, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that it is working that mind and, and practicing and surrounding yourself with the community. So you may not be dealing with breast cancer or cancer or even a health issue, but there are always ways, Vicki shared this, there's always something we need to heal in. 
And when we yes. start putting that balm, we start putting that oil and we put, start putting that healing blessing over that. That's when the healing and transformation begins. And then as Vicki has done, you become a light and you become an advocate and you become a voice to empower others to heal in that manner as well. So thank yes. you. So ladies, I hope you hear this message today and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really appreciated. You're very welcome. So thanks ladies for stopping in today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We can't wait to connect with you next week and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.